And now I am on. And I'm back. How are you guys? I hope you guys had a wonderful Halloween with lots of candy. And so I'm trying to teach my kids about taxes. So I, I have a candy tax. I, I take them trick-or-treating. They give me some of their candy. It works out nicely. <laughs> but uh, before we jump into our message, I have a couple of announcements. If you're a first-time guest, thank you for being here. Uh, we appreciate you making the effort to come out. As uh, you walked in, I don't know if you saw, but there were some bags there on a table. Uh, please grab one. It's a gift from us to you to say thank you for being here. And if you will uh, let us know that you are here by going to lifechurchutah.com. Uh, that way we can be in touch with you, let you know what's coming up, what's going on. Um, but thank you for being here. Uh, if you have any gifts, gifts, tithes, offerings, back at the kiosk there, we have uh, envelopes, the kiosk you can use, or you can give at lifechurchutah.com. And I have to say a huge thank you to you guys. Um, your generosity seems to know no bounds. Um, every time we have an event, you guys step up and, and help out, not just financially, not, but with your, your resources, your time, your effort, um, your decorations on this last one. We had a trunk or treat here on Friday, and it was, it was a really good time. Um, I, th I feel like we had a lot of good foot traffic from the neighborhood. We had a few people drive in, but uh, most people, I think they lived around here and seeing the kids come through. We guesstimated maybe 200 people came through. Um, you know, and just to be able to let the community know, hey, we're here. We, we want to love on you. We want to lead you uh, to a relationship with Jesus. So um, thank you for doing that. And then we did a little drawing. So as the kids would walk through, the cars had numbers on them and they voted for their favorite car. And our children's worker, uh, workers, Chris and Rachel Butler, they won. Here's a picture of their car. They were um, Little Red Riding Hood. Uh, he was the woodsman. She was grandma. Look at that fierce tie, uh, wolf, the big bad wolf, little Mira. So they, they took first place. And then we did another drawing, if you were, uh, did a raffle. Uh, came back today, but we'll do that a little bit later. But um, we had a really good time. It was a lot of fun. So thank you to you guys for donating candy, donating your time, uh, for decorating. Uh, Crystal and Joe did a great job decorating. Uh, Sadie decorated my car because I didn't do anything. I was a, I was a, a lamo, but um, we had a lot of fun. Um, for the last couple of weeks, we've been going through what is Life Church? Who are we? What are we? Um, for those of you that may not know, we are a campus of a church that's in West Valley. Uh, we have our lead pastor, his name is Rich Wooten, and he gives oversight to our three campuses, our Spanish, our West Valley, and Tooele, and I am the campus pastor here. So we collaborate on messages and uh, what we're going to talk about. I write my own messages, he writes his own, and we deliver on those subjects or those topics. Um, and we found it fitting to get together and kind of explain who are we? What, why do we exist? What's our purpose? What are our goals? And we've explored a couple of them already. Uh, the first week, um, we gave our mission statement, which is we are called to lead the people of the valley to be more like 
Jesus, that God gives us an active role in leading people into a relationship with Jesus, that uh, God will use demonstrations, events like he did with Elijah uh, to get people's attention, but the the heart change doesn't actually happen until we have a relationship with him, and God uses us through relationship to lead people to him. And then last week, we explored uh, our commitment to biblical truth, where I gave this this saying, our commitment to God's word will enable and empower us to lead people to Jesus. That when we engage with God's word, we're not going to read into it to try to justify the way we want to live life, but we read out of it with this intention, with this uh, expectation of transformation that God, through his word, will then uh, stir within us and our character will start to resemble that of Jesus. And the more that we do that, the more we are able to lead people to Jesus. So for the next four weeks, we're going to continue to explore this. And today we're going to look at this idea of innovative ministry. But I want to tell you a story. So I've always had an affinity for books. I love books. I like the way way they look on a bookshelf. I like the way they look on a desk. I like the way they look in your hand. You look smart. I love books. I buy books, and I buy books, and do I read them all? No. I've maybe read a quarter of my books. I had a problem uh, when I was going through school. If we had a special speaker come by and he sold or she sold books, I bought them all. So I have books on my bookshelf that I have never even opened, but I love books. Now, if I thought that Allison and I had a lot of books before kids, Oh my gosh. It's like they multiply, like rabbits. It was, it was like, so for every birthday, a book. Every Christmas, a book. Valentine's Day, a book. Independence Day, a book. A Monday or a Tuesday or Saturday. Any day that ended in a day was a day to give my kids books. We've got books everywhere. The only thing that we have more of are stuffies. Those are, st- we used to call them stuffed animals. That's too hard to say, I guess. So now they're shortened to stuffies. We have, between our stuffies and our books, it's like the kids' section at the library just blew up. It's, (laughs) Ava's toy box is full of stuffies. Under Harrison's bed, stuffies, they're they're everywhere. But I I digress. It was time for me, for Dad, to step in and do something. Something had to be done with this book situation. And so, I I came up with a plan. I invented the bookshelf. Innovation at its finest. Now, I haven't patented this idea or the design, so I'll let you in from the ground up. We'll take this thing worldwide, and we will change the world. Now, I had the design for this bookshelf for years, and when I mean years, it's years. Back in elementary school, as a school project, I had to build something. So me and this kid decided to build a bookshelf out of wood slats from, for, a, for a fence. And so we built it. It was a big success. So... 32-year-old Forrest decides to trust the engineering of 7-year-old Forrest and build the same bookshelf. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So Allison and Ava, they go off to California. Uh, I stayed home because I had to work, and I was like, I'm going to surprise them with this bookshelf. So I go to Home Depot. I get the same kind of wood, wood slats for a wood fence, and uh, I I rip the wood. I glue it together, screw it together, sand it down, paint it, make it beautiful. 
dries. I take it upstairs to the bedroom. I start putting books on it. And right away, there are flaws. So number one, uh, the books don't stay on the bookshelf. <coughs> yeah. Uh, if you st stuff them in there tight, they'll stay. But uh, And then if you put the heavy books on top, it would fall forward. So <laughs> I stack them on there so they stay, and I shim underneath the feet to, so it doesn't fall forward. And Allison comes home, and I'm excited to show them. And uh, I was hoping that they wouldn't notice, but if you know my wife, it was the first thing she noticed. And Ava starts taking the books off the bookshelf, and they all go, Whoa. and it's like, ah. Oh. She's like, so that, that doesn't work, huh? <laughs> so we take it, I take it back to the garage, and I modify it. And uh, it served as a bookshelf while we lived in our town home. And then when we moved to our new home, it, it found a new purpose. Its life did not die. I have a picture of it here. It became a movie holder. So <laughs> it holds DVDs, Blu-rays, and if you want to go way back, VHSs like it was meant to. It's beautiful. See, we've got, you know, Once Upon a Time and then Happily Ever After. Oh, perfect for a, a girl's bedroom. <laughs> oh, man. It has life. But that was a flop. I thought I was being innovative, and I, I, was, I was not. It was, there was a flaw in the design from the beginning. But that's what we're going to look at today is innovation. Uh, have you ever had a moment where you thought you were being innovative, but you really weren't? Maybe you really were. Maybe you had a great idea that was going to change the world, or at least change your world. Well, today we're going to look at a story where Jesus was truly innovative in his ministry. It might not seem like it at first. But as we unpack the story, we will see how Jesus was innovative and, and kind of look at the tension that, could have, that was there in this dialogue. And the story comes from John chapter 4, verses 4 through 30. Now, back on July 12th, we were going through the parables of Jesus. And we were talking about old and new wineskins. And the phrase I gave us back then was, Jesus uses new things to impact communities. And I thought that that was fitting for today, so I'm going to reuse it to uh, talk about this principle of innovating uh, a ministry to reach a next generation. Um, it's a lot of text, and I'm going to read it all to you, so bear with me if I don't drop my Bible. So we're going to start John chapter 4, verse 4 through 30, and it says this. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. 
But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that in your word are principles that we can apply to our life. So I pray this morning that you will open our ears to hear, our minds to understand, to know what it is you are speaking to us. May your words come alive. May it impact us. We bless you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I start with this caveat. There is so much content in these verses that there is no way for the sake of time that I can point out every truth, every principle. So today we're focusing on innovation, and that's where we will go. So if I skip over something that's like obvious, I understand. This could be a four, six-week series just in this story alone. But you might not understand where the, the tension would be in this conversation. So I wanted to give a little background, uh, clarification, or context, if you will, as to the culture in those days. And to understand this situation, we got to go way back in Israel's history. Israel was once one nation, and its king was God. And God wanted him to be the sole king. But the Israelites begged and pleaded and fought, and God finally gave them a human king, Saul. Now Saul disobeyed God, so God then elevated David to become king. David then brought the kingdom of Israel to great prominence, but it was under his son Solomon that it reached its highest peak of wealth, influence, and power uh, in those days. But once Solomon died, when his son took over the kingdom, the kingdom split. The ten northern tribes did not want to be under the rule of Rehoboam, so we have now two different kingdoms. Now with the kingdom split, they're easier to conquer. So now we have Egyptians, Assyrians, Babylonians. All of these uh, kingdoms around them start attacking them. Now every time that they get attacked, 
they, they were pretty smart. They would take the influencers of Israel, the teachers, the wealthy, all of those people, and they would relocate them into a different place within their own kingdom so that the people wouldn't gather up together and cause a revolt against the kingdom that overtook them. It, they were relocated. The northern kingdom was relocated so well that um, those ten tribes, we don't know where they went. They are referred to as the ten lost tribes of Israel. Uh, we, they, they don't know. So now we have Judea and we have Benjamin, the, the southern kingdom. Well, in one of these ro- uh, relocating events, uh, they moved them to a place called Samaria. The Assyrians came in, and normally when the, uh, the Israelites were conquered, the, the kings would introduce their idols, their gods, and they would start worshiping those gods and forsake God. Well, this is the one time where it was different. The, uh, Samar- the Assyrians started to assimilate to Jewish culture and started worshiping uh, Jehovah. Je- and, and now they are uh, um, two different people that have become one. Well, the Jews don't like this. They call them half-breeds. They refer to them as dogs. They, they, uh, they are not happy with this assimilation that has happened with Assyria. And these are the people we know as the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans claim that they had the original copy of the Pentateuch. That was the first five books of the Bible written by Moses, which Israel or the Jews rejected. So now we see this group of people that the Jews don't like, and they reciprocate that dislike towards the Jews. So they don't interact with one another. So it was a common understanding. We don't talk to each other. We don't like each other uh, because they were looked at as less than. They weren't worthy of the promises of God to Israel. Enter Jesus. He's traveling and he's weary. His journey is from Judea to Galilee, and he stops in Sychar, and the distance would have been 93 to 124 miles. So like us walking from here to Wendover is the distance he has traveled. So he's, he's wore out. And he sits by a well, and his disciples go into town, and he sees this woman coming. Now, I would argue that Jesus knew that this woman was going to be coming, and it was set up for this interaction, for us to have this story. So Jesus engages in conversation And we pick it up again in verse 7 through 9. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So now that we have a little backstory, we understand how this interaction is full of tension. It's not supposed to happen. The fact that Jesus was a male, that Jesus was a Jew, and Jesus was a rabbi, he should have never engaged with this woman. In fact, there, according to um, William Barclay, there was a group of Pharisees that were called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees for the simple reason that if they were walking down the street and a woman was walking their way, they would close their eyes and continue to walk, running into walls or whatever, uh, to keep themselves from looking at a woman. So you can see here that we we have a, a culture that is full of racism, sexism, and Jesus is about ready to shatter that norm. 
Let's look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, would you have asked him, or I'm sorry, you would have asked him and he would have given you uh, living water. See, this gal is missing what Jesus is trying to reveal to her. Well, what did she miss? Well, this word gift found in this, in verse 10, this is the only time that this Greek word is used. And the word is Dorian. Dorian. And what it is, is Jesus is emphasizing God's grace through him to the people, to Samaria, to everybody. And he's trying to get her to catch this revelation, which she catches later in the story. So then she asks, well, how can you get water without a bucket and a rope? Well, he replies in verse 13, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, now he's got her attention. She's intrigued. Here is a rabbi that should not be talking with her, offering her a permanent solution to her thirst. He's breaking the mold of what should be done. See, and now Jesus, now that he's got her attention, he wants to get to the heart of the issue. So he then begins to ask questions about her husband. Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. You see what Jesus did here? He didn't attack her for the sin in her life. He didn't condemn her. He agreed with her for telling him the truth. What you say is right. Sometimes as Christians, we can be so eager to jump down somebody's throat for what's going on in their life instead of getting into their story with them, taking a minute, understanding, and helping walk them through that. See, Jesus sees and knows right where this woman is at. And he's engaging her in that place. But then we see her change the subject. Maybe got a little uncomfortable. And she tells, you know, oh, I can see you're a prophet. Well, you see, you, you Jews, you say we got to worship down in Jerusalem. But we worship here where our fathers are. She's trying to change the subject. So Jesus hits her with a little bit of truth. And he said, believe me, woman, a time is coming. when." Now, Allison gives me grief. When I call her woman. Jesus is not being derogatory when he says woman here. I have, I have no idea how to read it without it sounding that way. Believe me, woman. So he's not being mean. It's just, I had to, I felt like I had to, okay. I, as I continue, believe me, woman. <laughs> A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Why is this important? Because the Jews would not allow the Samaritans to go to Jerusalem to worship. They had exiled them. And Jesus is telling them, listen, the time has come where it doesn't matter where you worship. 
It matters what's in your heart. It matters what your character is. It doesn't matter if you're in this building or that building or in this town or in this place. As long as God is in your heart and you are worshiping in spirit and in truth, you are worshiping him in true worship. This has got to be a mind-blowing revelation to this woman. And then she says, I know the Messiah called the Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything. Then Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Then his disciples return, and they don't ask any questions, even though they know it's kind of weird. Like, why is he talking to this woman? And she runs back to town. Now, you might be asking, so where's, where's the innovation in his ministry in this story? Well, number one, Jesus wasn't limited to what society said he could do to minister. He wasn't confined to what society said he could do. And number two, Jesus was not limited to what the church said he could do. He was not supposed to talk to him by society standards. He was not supposed to talk to this woman by church standards. Jesus was always challenging the norms of how he reached people. He met them where they were at. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, He's walking down the road. Zacchaeus is in a tree. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. Let's go eat in your house. And after spending time with Jesus, he says, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house. Now, mind you, tax collectors were hated almost as much as the Romans because they were taxing Jewish people for the Roman government. They hated tax collectors. They were the worst. The woman caught in adultery. We talked about her a couple weeks ago. Caught in the very act, thrown before Jesus. And Jesus says, You who is without sin, you cast the first stone. Because she should have been stoned to death. That's what the law said. But he changed the norm. He changed it. And everybody left. And he said, woman, where are those that accuse you? Well, there are none. Well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Healing people on the Sabbath day. He healed a man that was born blind. You weren't supposed to do that on the Sabbath. He ministered out of grace and love. If we go to the cross, here he is on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, and yet he is ministering to the man that is next to him, and he tells him, surely you will be with me in paradise. In that moment, when he could have been focused on himself, he was focused on those around him. Jesus wasn't concerned with the customs, the regulations of the law, but wanted to reach people where they were at. You see, everything would have been fine if Jesus would have done what rabbis do because rabbis do them because rabbis have always done it that way. He challenged and innovated the way he ministered to people to meet them where they were at. A little side story, a quick story about Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs created computers in his garage as a kid, creates Apple computers, Then he disappears from the scene for a little bit, and he brings on the iPod. Now, I have a picture of the first iPod and the first iPhone. Now, did Steve Jobs know what he was doing when he was innovating this? No, everyone thought it was just another MP3 player. I knew people that said, why would you want a computer and a phone together? I will have my phone as my phone, my computer as a computer. But because he took a risk, He innovated, not changed just tech, but he changed the world through what he did. 
And we have a quick story from a gal named Jessica and the way that she innovates her ministry. My name is Jessica Mora. I am an ice skater and I currently skate for U.S. figure skating. But in my heart, I skate for Christ because I want to spread the love and joy that he put in my heart since I was three years old. God transformed my life when my dad passed away. He was a huge part of my life. He was the only one who supported me in my figure skating career. No one else did. It was always working three jobs and paying for it. But when he passed away, I didn't know what to do. I thought skating was my escape. And what's weird is that my dad, God also used my dad's death because my dad was actually seeking God more right before he passed away. He, he rode a bike two miles in the rain just to go to church. I did not understand that. I was like, you're crazy. Why don't you not go to church? He's like, I feel God's calling me to go to church. God really brought peace and changed me from that moment. And I just drew closer to Christ. I finally attended church after eight years. I just love singing praise music and just learning about what God has to offer and how amazing he is. He also transformed my life in my skating career. I gave him my life, but I did not give him my skating career. I will be honest with you, I did not. I was so hesitant because I put in seven years of my life from Monday through Saturday, four to five hours a day of training. I felt like everything was great, but my skating career was just going downhill because of all these things that the world was telling me. And it was really getting to me at one point. I wanted to quit because I felt like I wasn't good enough. I was believing what the world was telling me. So I stopped, I decided to stop listening to them and started listening to Christ. And I felt broke down crying on my knees. I'm like, here, just take my skating career. That year, that was February of 2018. I passed four US figure skating tests that year. It takes one year just to pass one. I passed four that year. And I was so amazed, like, I had all this energy that I didn't know where it came from. And that was when I realized, I'm like, if I pray every single morning and receive my daily bread, then he will give me his, not only would I have my strength, but I'll have his strength. And sometimes I got no strength, but I got his strength to rely on and everything will be okay. In the Bible, it says we are a reflection of God's light to the world. I reach those around me by making my life be a reflection of Christ. So I make everything I do is I wanted to honor God from the moment I put my feet on the ground to the moment I go to sleep. Everything is a routine. This is what I mean by every little detail of my day is a reflection of God's light. So when I put my skates on, those are my feet of the gospel. Cause I got my skate, my Bible verses written on them. And if someone asks me, what is that? I write the Bible verse so they can look it up. And I don't tell them, I'm like, look it up. You tell me. And so my gloves is my shield of faith. The other one is the sword of the spirit. My leotard is my breastplates of righteousness. My pants, the little outline is my belt of truth. I always have a hair scrunchie. So that's my helmet of salvation. I want to reach out to those who don't know what to do and that Christ is the answer because he's the one that saves and gives life. And 
he gave me life and I would love to share that with others because what he gives is just it's priceless and it's unbelievable what he can do when you give him all he wants is just give him your life and give him everything you have and he'll take care of you amen you know when we are open to the idea of trying new things like Jessica using her her uniform, her skates to reach people. Jesus breaking the norms of talking to people he shouldn't talk to. We can see change happen. Or our church doing a trunk or treat. Just handing out candy, letting the community know that we are here. Sometimes it'll work. Sometimes it'll be a, you know, a home run. We'll knock it out of the park. Sometimes it'll be like my bookshelf and it'll be a flop. But we'll never know if we don't try. We won't. If we don't step outside of the norm and not do things the way we've always done them because we've always done them that way, then we can see God do great things because Jesus uses new things to impact communities. Jesus uses new things to impact communities. So how did it work for Jesus? Let's look at verses 28 through 30. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. The thing that blows me away is she goes and she says, There's a guy that has told me everything I ever did. She's not concerned that Jesus knows everything she ever did. She is amazed at the grace shown to her because he knows everything she ever did. That is who Jesus is. You see, the whole town comes out and they came to seek him, to find him. You know, Jesus, when he left this earth, he told his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the farthest parts of the earth. I think he threw Samaria in there as like, get it, guys? It's not just the people that you know. It's not just your community. It's not just your close friends. But we got to talk to the people, engage with the people, love the people that aren't like us, that we aren't supposed to love because society says we're not supposed to love them. We are supposed to go out to the farthest parts of the earth and engage people where they are and love them. This is where the next generation of believers is at. They're out there, but we need to innovate. We need to look at new ways of reaching the next generation. And I'll say it one more time, because Jesus uses new things to impact communities. Now, does this come from the church and its staff? Yes, it does. But it doesn't stop there. Like Jessica and her skates, Jesus at the woman at the well, we as individuals have to take up our responsibility and do our part to love people where they are at, to show them the Dorian, the gift that is Jesus. Because Jesus uses new things to impact communities. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you allow us to find new ways to love people, to minister to people, and that we see you as an example of doing those very things. So I pray as we take this idea home that you would begin to stir in our hearts and in our spirits ways that we can love on people, ways that we can reach people in our community. 
that, Lord, we would be open to the idea of loving on anybody and everybody, no matter their background, no matter who they are. I thank you, Father, for your word that it challenges us. I thank you, Lord, that it instructs us. We thank you, Father, for this time of, of diving into your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I got a reflection and a challenge for you real quick. The reflection is this. Are you open to new ways of reaching the next generation? If so, think on ways that you could impact those around you. And my challenge is this. Implement those ways with this caveat. There's a lot of things that have been done in Jesus' name that Jesus wouldn't be proud about. So when we do our outreaches, we need to make sure that it's biblical and that it's done in the love and the character of Jesus because that's who we are representing. If we do those things, God will use us to lead people to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, now we are at the end of our service and we had a raffle for those that visited us yesterday. And do we have just one? Friday. We did it on Friday. Yeah. Friday. I said yesterday. Okay. Did we have anybody that had a raffle that didn't put it in our pumpkin? No. Okay. Sir, you are the, the winner of our raffle. I, I forgot your name. I'm so sorry. Robert? Robert. Yes, you, sir. Thank you, Robert. Alrighty, my friends, go with this idea of innovation, of loving people and reaching people where they are, where they are at. I love you guys. I thank you for being here. Can't wait to see you next week. God bless. Yeah.